When I was 12, I went to the dentist to get my braces tightened. Sitting in the chair, the hygienist, an older woman with curly hair and glasses, struck up a conversation. She congratulated me on completing the sixth grade, asked how my summer had been so far, and where I'd be going to school in the fall. I still remember the look of shock and concern that crossed her face when I, a short, shrimpy kid from West Austin, announced I'd be heading across town to Keeling Junior High. See, back then, you couldn't get a yellow cab to pick you up on that side of the interstate. Now, though, the convenience stores our bus would pass have been replaced by espresso bars, boutique hotels have taken the place of long, vacant buildings, and you can sip cocktails at your choice of farm-to-table restaurants. In a fast-changing city, no part of Austin has undergone a greater transformation. But what do those who grew up on the east side really think about all of this? And what is left of what had been? I took a trip back there last January, where I reconnected with old friends, introduced myself to some new ones, and asked questions like these. I got some raw, unfiltered answers, and also got messy eating some damn good barbecue. I'm Evan Stern, and this is Vanishing Postcards. Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, which is Southbound, from Charlotte, North Carolina's NPR news source, WFAE. It's hosted by award-winning, best-selling writer and Pulitzer Prize finalist Tommy Tomlinson. As host of Southbound, Tommy sits down with other Southerners who share their tales of living, working, striving, and thriving. In fact, as a companion to today's episode, I highly recommend you consider listening to his recent discussion with Adrian Miller, whose new book, Black Smoke, shines a light on the history of African-American barbecue. You can find the Southbound podcast on your favorite podcast app or on wfae.org slash southbound. And tell Tommy I sent you. Now, let's get on with the show. Um, so I'll take... Um... I'll take a third of a pound of uh, moist brisket. A um, third of a pound? Okay. I can do, I can do, uh, I mean. Today, I'm doing something I swore I'd never do. I'm waiting in line to try the brisket at Franklin's Barbecue. If you've never heard of Franklin's, back in 2011, Bon Appetit named it the best barbecue in America. Its owner, Aaron Franklin, has since won a James Beard Award, appeared in the John Favreau film Chef, and been gushed about by the likes of Gordon Ramsay on Jimmy Kimmel. Since opening, he's yet to have a single day where he hasn't sold out a brisket, and for this, his lines have become mythical, with people camping out in advance and waiting upwards of four hours. Kanye West once famously attempted to jump the line, but was turned away by management, though for security purposes, they went ahead and loosened the policy for Barack Obama. And today's wait? is appropriately crazy. What time did you get here? Uh, about a half hour ago, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Right around 8 o'clock. Uh, we got here at 7.24 precisely. Like 7.15? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 7.15. We slept in. <laughs> I got here at 6 a.m. Uh, yeah, just on the road trip and got here at 5. Where are you from? Detroit. Detroit, and you? Seattle. Um, Bay Area, California. Melbourne, Australia. Uh, originally from L.A., but I live in Beijing. Notice there aren't a lot of people who actually live here doing this. That's because 
great barbecue isn't exactly hard to come by in Austin. And if you're from here, as I am, all of this hype seems a bit much. I'm going, oh my goodness, I'm not standing in that line. <laughs> I'm sure it's good, but it's just not something I want to do. Because friend husband makes good barbecue at home. <laughs> barbecue used to be, okay, barbecue used to be cheap food. Now when you get these craft barbecue where there, you know, people stand in line and, you know, I, I, to me, if you're going to stand in line for four hours, go ahead and fire up the pit, you know? Throw some salt on some brisket, salt and pepper, throw it out there, get a couple beers, sit your house, relax, enjoy yourself. Well, Franklin, I look, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I catch the bus about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's a line of people that's on the next street. They're standing in line, and they don't even open to 11. I wouldn't stand in that line. I'm just going to tell you. If they say, we're going to give you some cash money, give you a pretty girl, or give you a, a, a big bottle of alcohol, I'll stand in line. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to stand in no six, no six hours for, for no barbecue. Barbecue can't be that good. Now, yeah. just to clear the air, barbecue is work. I respect anyone willing to put in the labor to get it right, and don't doubt for one second Mr. Franklin knows his way around a pit. After all, he got to start working alongside John Miller, whose family is behind Louis Miller's and Taylor, which might be my favorite barbecue in the entire state. That said, you could sleep in, drive the 35 miles to Taylor, have lunch, and be back in less time than it would take to navigate this line. But on top of the inconvenience, my reasons for avoiding this until now cut a bit deeper. My name is Ben Wash. I'm the president of Ben's Long Branch Barbecue. Has been for 36 years. In 1971, yes, 1971 when I started it all, you know, I'm still, still, still going, you know. All my life, I, lo I love cooking. I remember That's when I was Ben Wash speaking in a 2007 interview with the Southern Foodways Alliance. He built the building Franklin's occupies today, which housed his restaurant, Ben's Long Branch, for nearly 40 years. But he certainly never had a line like this. My brother was about eight years older than me, and he hung around some guys even a little older than him, you know. And every weekend, look at these guys that go out and barbecue in the, in the backyard. And man, they could barbecue so good, man. I wish I could barbecue as good as they could now. I, I still can't. But... Be honest with you, though, I hung around them enough to learn how to barbecue well enough to start my own business. And that's the way I learned how to cook. Backyard. Every weekend, we'd buy some barbecue, buy some meat, and get in the backyard and just kind of play around with it, you know. And I got pretty good at it. They all said, well, you don't have to buy anymore. We do all the buying, and you do the, you do the cooking. To this day, I remember Ben's ribs, and I'm not alone. He was so friendly. Everybody came in, he like he knew everybody. And he had some famous ribs that I liked a lot. I mean, all kind of politicians, everybody, people who just come in town for different events and make sure they went by there. I really don't understand. Ben never had a problem. And I can't see myself sitting in line that long for some barbecue. That's not really that good to me. That's my personal opinion. But Ben, I'm so used to Ben's, it makes a big difference there. Well, I'm sure I never saw lines like that at Ben's. <laughs> You know, I think if Ben's had lines like that, Ben'd still be open, don't you? I know of Ben's because my uncle kept an office a few blocks away, but memories of his long branch are fading fast, and 
Among my old Austin friends and family, I'm the only one who can claim to have gone. That's because it was on the east side. I always lead with I'm a Texan. And uh, then people are like, oh, you're a Texan? Wow. You know, and there's, there's a ton of associations with Texans that are, you know, wide and varied. But uh, then they inevitably ask, you know, where from? And I tell them Austin. And then the fawning begins. And I always squash it. I always squash it. I never am like, yeah, it's awesome. Isn't it cool? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, it's really segregated and mad racist. <laughs> So as soon as I can pop that bubble, I try to. Um, now, of course, if they were to talk shit about Austin, I probably would be fighting them. But like, uh, I don't like people to think that this city is that that city is some like special place. In fact, I would argue that there are more cities who are, uh, there are cities in Texas who are, are are way more progressive in many ways than Austin is. My friend Emily, a Tex patriot now living in Queens, grew up just a few miles from here. She speaks what I think is an uncomfortable truth. Austin, for all its touted liberal leanings, is one of the most segregated cities in Texas. And its handling of race has frankly never been great. When you look back at the history of that city in terms of like how they've historically treated groups of color who could have and should have thrived, um, they've historically denied them access to um, basic necessities and have constantly tried to push them to the fringes of the city and that is what that city is actively doing right now. In regard to history, she's not wrong. Once upon a time, there were 15 freedmen's communities in and around Austin, places like Wheatville near what's now the university, or Clarksville, which was in walking distance of where I grew up. But in 1928, seeking to save money and solve what they called a Negro problem, the all-white all-male city council hired an outside firm to create a new land-use blueprint. In what came to be known as the Master Plan, they determined that by refusing services to blacks outside a designated six-square-mile area on the east side, a Negro district could be created. Standing before an old map in the George Washington Carver Museum and Cultural Center, docent Harrison Epright told me about its implementation. Well, blacks already were here in East Austin, already before the 1928 master plan, but after the 28 master plan, blacks vacated other parts of the city. Uh, they vacated other parts of the city because there was not a, a good infrastructure established for blacks in other parts of the city, and then also, too, as a way of, of coercing you to move out. Well, then they would dump garbage. Wheatville, for instance, was a major area where where the city would just come and dump their garbage. Uh, they also did that in Clarksville as well. They dumped their garbage in Clarksville. And Clarksville itself did not get electricity until 1940. Yet, while the creation and consequences of the master plan mark one of the most shameful actions in Austin's history, the new community that emerged on the east side eventually became a strong one. Man, we had all kinds of food. Okay, I can tell you what we had here. I can remember we had a, we had had our own clean. We had two cleaners in East Austin. They all owned by all blacks. We had restaurants, you tremendous restaurants. I, I can't remember how many it was. We had our own llama company. We had our own real estate company. We had a car dealership over here. We could buy a new car in East Austin from a black man. Yeah, and back in the fifties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's, I'm trying to think of something that we didn't have over here. I don't think there's anything we can, I can't think of, you know. It was all dead right here in East Austin, Texas. It's kind of seemed like we lost our roots when the integration came because I guess, you know, we wanted to see something different. Oh, yeah, anybody in the neighborhood could snatch your ass up. That was like, you know, if you're messing up and anybody saw it, they could come take you and, you know, and if you went home and told your mom and dad that, you know, hey, Miss So-and-so disciplined me, the question wasn't why she did it, it was what did you do? That's Lee Wilson, an entertainment lawyer and fifth-generation Austinite. He grew up moving around the east side, and his family, the Collins, are represented with a permanent exhibit inside the Carver Museum. He's also basically extended family, and when he heard about what I was up to, offered to drive me around the old stomping grounds. I'm going to tell you, the east side was rough. <laughs> until, until the 90s, you know, it was rough. And, and it was, I, I don't think that, I don't think that anyone who grew up and lived in the east side romanticizes it because, you know, it was rough. I mean, Things are different here nowadays, though. And driving by his old home on Navasota, which he shared in the 80s with his wife Jan and newborn son Jamie, the sense of change was palpable. This little park here, up on the left. I mean, when Jamie was, Jamie's 30 plus years old now, but when Jamie was a kid, we wouldn't even bring him to this park because there are so many used condoms and hyperderm, used hypodermic needles that, you know, it, it was a risk. It was dangerous to do that, you know? But oh well. Mm. <sighs> well I mean, these houses are incredible. I mean, this used to be an illegal lot right here. They couldn't even build anything on that. And this is where we lived. And what's he doing? For sale. Hmm. I don't know, man. What a long, strange trip it's been. Mm. It's amazing, man. I haven't been over here in years. Well, what does it feel like for you driving around here today? You know, I wish this had happened 20 years ago. I mean, that's that's what I feel like. It's like, why why did it take, you know, 30, 40 years for this to be recognized as, you know, a a jewel? I mean, it, it is. So, I mean, that that's my feeling is, you know, I don't know. Lee's views on all of this are nuanced. Emily, though, has a hard time with some of the attitudes this jewel digging has inspired. And so um, I was looking at the tag and I came across this woman um, and her Instagram name, I think, is like from, from dumps to diamonds. And I could not believe it. I was so fucking offended um, that this bitch, who's not even from Austin, not even from the community that I grew up in, that like where I met incredible people, um, I, I credit to making the person, making me the person I am today. Um, like that she was just coming into our, our community and looking at our homes and calling them dumps and that she was going to put a fucking like, you know, turquoise door on some shit. And now it's a, it's a diamond, you know? And it's like, you've done nothing to change this house except added a coat of paint, put in some like stainless steel apartment, uh, appliances. And now this is like a diamond because you're going to sell it to a white person. Fact is... 
the east side is hot, and as property values and living expenses have increased, the city's black population has moved in the opposite direction, to places like Pflugerville, Maynard, Elgin. I cook from the abundance of my heart to return to the abundance of someone else's heart. And I really do love, food is important to the soul. I mean, food will make a sick man get well. You know, for real, though. Lozina Stevens made one of those moves a few years ago. But she's probably better known to Austinites as Nubian Queen Lola for the Louisiana-inspired soul food restaurant that bore her name on Rosewood. You'll also hear from her adorable grandson, Shane. Well, so I opened up as Queen Lola because God told me he would give me the favor of Esther. I had in the Bible, and he did. I was passing by riding with a friend of mine in his suburban, and I seen this for, for rent sign on his window. Never dreamed. But I had, I had lost my brother and my sister, and my brother and my sister back to back like that. And I had told God that I needed something to hold on to. And I started having dreams of me and my sister opening up this restaurant. And I couldn't understand how in the world me and this girl opening up a restaurant. And I didn't have no money, not, not even a nickel to open up my restaurant. When Mr. Howard asked me how, when was I able to pay the rent, I told him, mm, my mom always said if you don't have it, act like you got it. So I went to acting like I had it. I said, oh, give me a week and i have it. Man, I didn't have a nickel of that man money, you know. And I just went to praying and asking people for their change and my kids busting open their little bank, doing whatever I could, and showing up to God be the glory, he blessed me with the $500. Through the kindness of friends and even a few strangers, she got Nubian Queen Lola's off the ground on a shoestring and remained serving up her mother's recipes for gumbo and etouffee for 14 years, not just for hungry customers, but the homeless whom she never turned away from her back door. Business was steady, and even claimed she got more business from the neighborhood's new arrivals than the old. But persistent plumbing issues, compounded by rising costs and her husband's health, led her to close down. And when looking to buy property, Austin prices drove them north to Taylor. Do you miss Austin? Man, I miss Austin so much I can cry. Mm. Don't never ask me that again. (laughs) I'm sure there are many families building happy lives in these growing suburbs. But this transition hasn't been easy for Miss Stevens. And I believe that Austin should miss her as much as she misses it. I took a walk by her old spot the other day. It used to be decorated with a colorful purple mural, but has been painted over in brown and now sits vacant. Then, walking around the corner, I encountered a man named Leon. Tall, thin, with tightly braided cornrows, he showed me the tattoo on his arm and introduced himself to me as Old School 69. Uh, My my name is Leon. I'm just known by Old School. Old school, 69. Yeah, 69 is my favorite year. I still say, like I say, Woodstock, that, that's when everybody was having fun. There wasn't no shooting people, wasn't no gun and stuff. Every, everybody was just, just having it with Janet Joplin and stuff. I'm an old rocker. Yeah, I'll I, I go back. 
Coincidentally, he tells me 1969 was the year he moved to Austin. Oh man, it it it, it is it is completely different. You you wouldn't know it now. If I had moved here, well, I, I wouldn't even know it now. And I love it here. I I love it because I, I can I can I can just walk everywhere I have to. If I want to walk to town, I can walk to see. I don't have to ride the bus to town. Yeah, yeah, that, like right, right there behind you, they got condos and stuff, and and and, and they trying to buy the, the barbecue place out onto it. They gonna eventually get it, cause cause they gonna have the money. Yeah, they did offer them like about three million dollars, and he turned it down. But they gonna eventually get it. It, it, it. East Austin is just different. The barbecue restaurant he's talking about on 12th Street is Sam's. It's been there since the 1950s and looks exactly the way an old barbecue joint should. A favorite hangout of the late Stevie Ray Vaughan, fading snapshots litter nearly every inch of the walls. The ceilings have been stained with smoke. And if you fail to notice the catchy slogan painted on the front of the building, owner Brian Mays will be certain to remind you. You don't need no teeth to eat my beef. You don't need no teeth at all. Eager to chat, Brian leads me back to show off his pit, revealing today's bounty of meats. I cook with love, boss. When you cook with love, you get it. Because when everybody eat it, they're going to say, ooh, I love this. So if you come to Sam, you ain't got to wait no long line. Just come on in, get your food, come to the counter, get your food in, sit down and eat if you want to take it with you. You got to know how to cook it. And you don't got to use no salt. And you got to cook for everybody, not some people. You don't use no spicy stuff, you don't do none of that. Because why? Everybody don't eat spicy stuff and everybody don't eat no sugar stuff, salt stuff. So you got to cook where everybody can eat it. Today, Brian runs the business with his brothers, all thanks to a twist of fate. As Brian tells it, his father won this place from Sam in a gambling wager back in the 1970s. You could say, this bet's returns have grown a little over the years. And my daddy, he won, my daddy won in a gambling game. Now we're a whole lot of money now. Now everybody want to move over here. They owe me five million, I turn it down. You heard that right. An Oregon-based developer offered him five million dollars for his land, and he said no. Now, just to give a little perspective, back in the 90s when I was going to school at Keeling, you probably could have bought something like this around here for 72 grand. I gotta ask, how hard was this decision? It was hard, but I cried, but I worked on through it. Cause I got to do it because I got people here. See, when you, st- when you start Unity, you got to mean it. So I can't get everybody together and run off and leave everybody. When it's, it's, it's a whole lot, I'm the only black man still standing out here. It means a whole lot. This is old school barbecue, bro. It's old school. When you get this, you're getting real barbecue. We ain't broke, so we're going to be here. Everybody keep on supporting me, I'm going to be here. And I appreciate everybody who supported me, still supporting me. I appreciate y'all. I am not going to leave y'all. I'm going to stay here. I ain't going nowhere. We all going to be here together. Before I leave, I ask him what his hope is for the neighborhood's future. And he references the words and portrait of Martin Luther King painted on the side of his building. Side of my building is say we all came on different ships, but now we're in the same boat. That means we all got to help each other now. We all got to come together as a team. And we got to realize one thing, one thing. The bigger the dream, the bigger the team. The bigger the team, the bigger the dream.
As our drive came to a close, Lee offered this. Yeah, I know it's not going to go back. So I, I can't hope for that. I can't wish for that. That's unrealistic. There, the, you know, the, the, the color of the day is green. It's not black, white, brown, yellow, purple, orange, blue. It's green. If you got the green, you can live anywhere you want. He's definitely right on the first count, and probably right on the second. By that measure, some might call Brian Mays crazy, others might call him shrewd. Perhaps old school 69 is right, and developers will come back with an offer that's too great to refuse. For now, though, and for whatever reasons, I'm grateful he's still there with his brothers, tending their pit and swimming against the tide. You have any questions for me? I think I'm good, man. Thank you so much. Back at Franklin's, after a few hours, I place my order and sit down to dig in. The verdict? Delicious. Now, I do think Kreitz's has better sausage, but the ribs fall off the bone, and while the bark is a bit salty for my taste, we'll admit the brisket might be the best I've tried. But I don't need to do this again. I hate lines almost as much as I hate early mornings. I also still lament that Ben didn't receive a fraction of this attention. So, I won't judge you if you decide to do this. But while you're here on the east side, swing by the Carver Museum. See what art is on display, check out their cultural offerings, and walk through the permanent collection to learn a bit more about our history. Also, so you know, it's no frills, but over at Roland's on Chestnut, you can get a smothered pork chop with rice, greens, and black-eyed peas for $11. If you're in Austin and throwing a party, Lola still cooks up a mean jambalaya, and if you pitch in for gas, she'll deliver it to you. Hoover's on Mainers still has the best chicken fried steak in town, and of course, do yourself a favor and stop by Sam's. They serve mutton. I don't know of any other place in town that does that. And if Brian's there, he's good for conversation and just might take you back for a behind-the-scenes tour. He'll also remind you of his slogan. You don't need no teeth to eat my beef. You don't need no teeth at all. There are so many to thank in not only helping this story happen, but trusting me to tell it. Emily, Lee, Brian and the Mays family at Sam's, and Lozina Stevens. Again, if you're in Austin and thinking about putting a spread together for a party, call her up for some gumbo at 512-853-1917. This story also helped introduce me to Harrison Epright, whom I cannot thank enough. His knowledge of East Austin history is truly encyclopedic, and encourage you to take one of the walking tours he gives through the Austin Visitor Center or Six Square, which is an organization dedicated to preserving and celebrating East Austin's historic African-American community. For more information, visit sixsquare.org. I thank you for listening, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard and haven't already, please subscribe. It helps us grow and guarantees you will never miss an episode. As always, if you know someone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, it would mean a great deal if you could take a second to text them and share this episode. For photos and more info, please find us on Instagram or visit vanishingpostcards.com where we'd love to hear from you if you have any stories you care to repeat or know of any places we should consider visiting. We'll be back again in a few weeks, but 
In between now and then, I'll be interviewed by author Kat Caldwell on her podcast, Pencils and Lipstick. So if you're curious to learn more about me and my process, make certain to stay tuned for that. Our theme music was written and performed by Max Krauss and Emily Young. I'm Evan Stern, and hope you'll join us next time for more Vanishing Postcards. Postcards.